how sweep it is. The Mets took care of business, beating the Phillies three times at City Field this week before Thursday's game was washed away. We'll get into some clutch hits, dominating starting pitching, the bullpen's performance thus far, and so many early season postponements. And our special guest this week is just incredibly hilarious, the voice of many Simpsons characters and so many roles in his career. It's Jim Brockmire himself, Hank Azaria. Let's talk Mets winning baseball and share some laughs right here on Amazing But True from the New York Post. Queens, New York. Mets take the field. So amazing. Amazing but true. Orange and blue. So amazing. Here's the pitch. New York folks. It's out of here. We got you. Ooh, welcome. To Amazing But True, our Mets podcast from the New York Post. It's Jake Brown here at Jake Brown Radio. Nelson Figueroa, former Met pitcher, Emmy Award winner there at Figgy NY. You can follow us on Twitter. New episodes of the show drop every Monday and Thursday. Monday show stacked. Iconic, legend, illustrious, Glenn Close, the legendary actress, and Mets fan will join the show. Later in today's show, we have a fantastic interview with Hank Azaria. So many Simpsons characters. Brockmire, which has turned into one of my favorite shows of all time. You'll hear Jim Brockmire. You'll hear the voice himself. He's a diehard Mets fan. We'll talk Mets, Brockmire, all that with Hank Azaria later in the show, Figgy. But the Mets right now, they're winning. Everyone was a little concerned. They're worried. But they sweep the Phillies three before Thursday gets washed away. That's June 25th now, doubleheader. And the sixth time, Figgy, the Mets have been postponed. Eight games in 15 days. Let's start there before we get into how good they are. I mean, this rhythm is getting thrown off by just constant bad weather. The COVID to start the year. Snow on Friday and Saturday is expected in Denver. So the Mets might only get one or two in this weekend. And we might push that number to seven or eight postponements before the end of the weekend. Yeah, it's definitely not how you drew it up. You have the excitement of ending spring training on a high note. Team has finally selected its 25-man roster. Guys are going up north, and then there's a delay to the start of the season. Of course, playing in the northeast, you expect some inclement weather, but it's kind of just been on the on the uh, side of ridiculousness already with uh, all the postponements, um, bad weather, and continual bad weather that they will see for the upcoming series in Colorado. So, yeah, it, it, there is no routine. There is no uh, you know starting to to feel like uh, you're playing a major league season. You're used to playing a game every single day. Right now, it's it's tough to get into a rhythm. It's tough for these hitters to get anything going just when they feel like they're seeing the ball well. Oh, well, it's going to be a couple of days before you play again. So it's uh, not the ideal, but as paid professionals, they got to go through it and they've come out on the other side of it because they're now playing winning baseball. I'm concerned a little bit. There's DeGrom, Lucchesi, Stroman this weekend because Friday is probably not happening. Saturday, I worry if they do play in the cold and snow. You pitched. You know it is hard to get a grip on a ball when it's 30 degrees outside. I worry. I mean, it's DeGrom, and he's just the best on the planet. But do you worry a little bit about throwing DeGrom and maybe even Stroman out in this kind of weather and risking you know future injury or just that and the grip and everything in the weather affecting how they pitch? Well, yeah, that's one of the biggest challenges is, of course, uh, just dealing with the elements. But at the same time, as a pitcher, you're the most warm person 
on the field. You go and warm up extra, you go out there and you're throwing, your body temperature is feeling almost to normal where the hitters get up there sporadically and they have to put a wooden bat in their hand and try and make contact with that 100 mile an hour fastball all over the strike zone. So it's always advantage pitcher. And especially in those cold days like that, it's advantage pitcher because those balls on the inside feel 10 times worse when they uh, get jammed. So that's what you really look to do is use that to your advantage. You know the hitters don't want to be up there very long, so they're going to be aggressive, swinging early. All type of things like that you use to your advantage. And when you're facing somebody like Jacob deGrom, he's going to be in the driver's seat. I don't think there's a reason why he would not pitch, even with the weather, unless it's going to snow. Now, if the forecast is for snow, then you go with an opener and then see how it goes throughout the game. But I need to see Jacob deGrom out there, no matter what the weather is, uh, You know, have Stroman out there. Uh, you, you have these guys that are, are waiting and trying to get into some kind of rhythm, you know, pitching once every five days instead of once every eight days, just so these guys can get back to normal. Yeah, then we hope in Chicago there'll be good weather. They'll have the day off Monday, another day off. I mean, they're getting all these days off in April out of the way, and some double headers lined up down the road. We haven't seen Lucassi start, so he's a guy we don't see this weekend. We'll see next week as well. So let's let's talk about the good because this team had a fun week. I was there for the double header on uh, Tuesday. I got two games one day. What a day! Caught a t-shirt, Figgy. So I uh, got the shirt. Nice. Uh, and I caught it this time, but she was about six feet away, socially distanced behind me. So I mm. you call the name on the back of the jersey. Now I know a lot of those the girls and the guys of the the t-shirt squad. And you just say, Joanna, Joanna, Joanna. Boom, got it. And then a, and Conforto throws a ball. You know, these were the Lucky Charm seats, Viggy. Throws a ball up. The girl I, I went to the game with uh, went to get it. Guy with the glove got it. Handed her the ball. Nice move, considering wow. it went, like, Gentlemen. right to his glove. It didn't look like he robbed her, like a Zach Hample. But uh, <laughs> he handed it to her and uh, had to post a picture. But, yes, if you are listening, I did not cash that myself. So I, I hate to break the news. But that is besides the point is the fact is – the Mets got clutch it. They got VR have his Mets moment. They had James McCannon, Cannon have his Mets <laughs> moment with his first homer Wednesday night. They're getting terrific starting pitching. Stroman was great. Peterson was dominant, throwing the fastest pitch of his career at 95.3 miles an hour. Taiwan Walker was good again. And last night, the bullpen closed the door, and Aaron Loop got the big double play. Familias looked good. Diaz has been good. So, a lot of good signs in this series to take away going into the weekend, and the Mets are in five and three and in first place, baby. Yeah, everything that you we we talked about leaving spring training, you know, we got a chance to see some of those elements, right? McCann finally getting that home run. It was nice because it gave him a, a nice cushion towards the end of that game. Peterson was outstanding. I, I love a guy who you want to look how he reacts, how he bounces back, you know, and he was excellent after that first inning, really. If you look at it, it was that first inning that he got all the damage done to him last time, and then he kind of fizzled out, but he had four solid innings in between there. This time around, he was in total command. You're facing the same team again. You're able to move the ball around. His ability to to kind of mix pitches at such a young age, he has a mastery of his changeup. His breaking ball has some sweeping action, has some 12-6 action at times. That's what you love to see from these young pitchers is just looking at a game plan and executing over and over again. Because it's one thing to get a guy out once, 
But to get these guys out two and three times and sometimes, you know, four to six times in a, a matter of just a week, that's really what's impressive because you're facing the same team again and they had success last time. You want to be able to kind of write that ship and now change the narrative so that next time they face you that, hey, 10 punch outs, that's a big deal. And he was able to do it in only 80 pitches. So hats off to him. Yeah. And the only the complaint would be is why pull him? I get you got a pinch hit there. You want the insurance, but you could have got another two in and get out of him. I know I tweeted complaining the other day when they pulled Strowman, but then I realized after the game, Strowman asked to come out of that game. So, you know, I feel a little bit better about that one. I would have loved to see it for fantasy reasons. I have one of my teams would have got credit for a complete game for seven innings. How rare is that? You know how weird it was, Figgy being there? Was, I think it was the first, it is the first seven inning doubleheader in City Field history, at least with fans there, to have a bottom of the eighth inning walk off. That was like last year when Ahmed Rosario hit a walk off in Yankee Stadium as the yes. they were the home team. Two just wild mm -hmm. things to experience i was waiting for there to be fans who didn't realize like because you know there's casual <laughs> fans who were probably there and like why is this game over in the eighth inning like it, you, you might not know and it was a strange feeling i mean it's a week it's a year of strange feelings i mean <laughs> just everything that's gone on um but that was the only complaint but you know it's, you're getting the dominant pitching but the bullpen is key and what have you seen from jared's familia where he's looked different so far and he might look like his old self. It's obviously so early, but what are you seeing from that back end of the bullpen that could be a sign of success for this team? Well, with Batances going down early, as almost expected, you have Familia having to really step up in a major way because that turbo sinker that he throws at 98 miles an hour plus, it's the gift and the curse, right? So he has made an adjustment in his mechanics. To me, he's staying a little bit more closed. So his front foot is facing more towards the right-handed hitter. And every time he's throwing that sinker right now, it's got that nasty bottoming out action. And you're seeing he's given up some hits, but if you look at all the hits and you put them all together, they still really don't almost don't even get to the outfield. He's gotten a lot of weak contact, a lot of weak ground balls, and guys are getting hits because they're hitting the ball too soft almost. Reese Hoskins hit that ball that was a little blooper over uh, Pete Alonso's head the other day and wound up getting a double off of it. So it's not like Familia is getting raked upon and he, he's given up these big hits. He's literally given up ground ball after ground ball after ground ball. And that's the type of pitcher that he is. He's going to come around where he has a better slider and a better command of his uh, split finger. And that's where he'll start racking up the strikeouts. But I've seen nothing but impressive form from him and the action on the baseball. It, it looks like vintage Familia stuff. Lastly, Figgy, I mean, is this the best one? I mean, it's early, but this could end up being the best one, two, three top of the order in Mets history. I mean, Brandon Nimmo <laughs> is getting on base almost two out of two times. I mean, his OBP is at 583 right now. He's hitting 464. He's tearing the cover off the ball. Lindor in the second spot has been good. Dom Smith in the third spot with Pete. I mean, I love that one through four. You move Conforto down. Hopefully his back comes alive. But the top of the order is setting the table for the rest of the guys on this team. And it's putting them in good positions to score runs. And that's what you need. And if Brandon Nimmo continues at this pace, bro, you'll say George Springer, Jerry Springer, George, Jerry. I mean, I mean, <laughs> what, what center field do we need? I mean, we got him right here in City Field in Queens and Brandon Nimmo. Yeah, listen, the uh, MLB shredder had said that Brandon Nimmo was top five center fielders in all of baseball. And a lot of people kind of laughed it off. And we hadn't seen him put his whole game together. He has so many elements to his game where it's the speed, where he's probably top three in the team in speed. His eye at the plate, of course, you know how he gets on base, the walks and everything else. But 
he's also got some power too, man. He hits the ball gap to gap and can run. That's what you want him to do. You don't want to get him falling in love with the launch angle swing and trying to go for home runs. He has enough power that if he just makes that hard contact, the ball can go. I loved watching him um, from the very beginning. He reminded me of a left-handed Hunter Pence. The way he's built, like his body is, you know, he's long and lanky and he, it looks a little awkward what, the way he does things, but he gets the job done. So he's putting it all together right now. And I don't expect these numbers to stay this high, but it is fun to have a little league week to start the season out that you get the ball rolling, especially when other guys are struggling. Conforto's struggling. Uh, Lindor has not, you know, he's barely batting over 200. You have Pete Alonso who's barely batting over 200. He's at the one home run. The Mets haven't hit for power as of yet. And I think that comes along with, like we talked about earlier, getting into a routine. They have five home runs as a team. Wilson Ramos has six home runs all by himself. And so Ugh. that lets you know that this this team that we saw, you know, a big, deep lineup with a lot of home run power, it hasn't come as of yet. And I'm not worried about it. I like that. See that they're they're hitting the ball. They're moving the ball around the field. But I need more clutch hits, you know, and big opportunities to score runs so that this way – takes the pressure off that bullpen, gives a guy like Jacob deGrom some mistake room where he isn't giving up a you know solo shot to a guy who you love and being able to go deeper into ball games. And, and I, I can't wait for there to be, you know, seven straight days of Mets baseball to see it all get put together. Yeah, who knows if we'll ever see it. A couple things to address there. One, I checked with the Elias Sports Bureau. It is true. Brandon Nimmo runs faster to first on walks than any other player in baseball history. <laughs> I did check the stats. They're in, and uh, that is a fact. Also, the MLB Shredder, the only thing that comes to mind when you say that is Ninja Turtles. What the hell is the MLB Shredder? Brian Kenny, uh, one of the most respected statisticians in the game, um, he has algorithms based on whether it's defense, offense, all different elements of the game. Nerd. And he puts he puts all the players into that. And what comes out of it is the Mets in seven of the eight positions ranked in the top 10 in all of baseball. So that's where I think a lot of the moves that weren't made for the big high price free agents – the organization felt like there was some merit to it. And the MLB nerds, as you say, kind of nerds. backed that up. And now you're seeing this team able to do things the way they're doing them. And that's, uh, you know, Lindor is one of the top rated at his position. You got Nimmo in the in the top five. Dominic Smith was rated as one of the top left, left fielders in the game. Conforto, of course, was top five when it comes to right fielders. So McCann was number 10, I believe. Uh, first base was Pete Alonso. He was again in top 10. And uh, McNeil was up there as well. So it, it's an exciting time for the Mets because on paper, there's a lot of pluses, right? But the game isn't won on paper. It's a lot of times lost on paper because of these game plans that are drawn up before the game is started. And as the game's going, you need somebody like Rojas to manage according to the feel of the game. And hopefully he gets better at that because I think there's going to be a lot of scrutiny for a, not a first-time manager, but a first-time full-season manager where there's a lot of lumps he took last year. He should learn from those mistakes. And if he's better at it, then these, this Mets team has got a chance to go a long way. Exactly. He's got to get better at managed by the game, not by what he sees on his paper, what's on the card. He's got to do that. I mean, that's going to be a topic we talk about every week. If there's something that holds this team back, it could be Luis Rojas, and that's what's frustrating because you don't want a manager to cost a team a season. So let's hope he gets better because he's looked in over his head, but you know, we'll give him the benefit of the doubt. He had the COVID year. He's had a lot of lineup changes. Guys hurt postponements. So Luis Rojas 
has got to be better. Mets, Rockies, we'll see how much they get in. DeGrom, Lucchese, Stroman in Denver for the Mets play the Cubs for three. They're 5-3 and three right now. And before we get to Jim Brockmeyer, that's his character name, and I called him Jim in the interview, <laughs> Hank Azaria, uh, might as well just rename himself. He might as well pull an Ocho Senko and change his name. We got to get to the most important topic, Figgy, and that is this. Open the food, Steve Cohen. I'm sick of chicken fingers and hot dogs. There's no steak sandwich. There's no steak fries. There's no chicken parm hero. There's no fuku. There's no lobster nachos or lobster fries. There's no dough. I don't even think there's ice cream. Well, there might be ice cream, but there's nothing. The best thing there is the spiked Arnold Palmers I was having the other night. Those were delicious. $15, $16 expensive, but open the food. It's killing my fat belly. I'm, I'm ordering burgers, fries, and fingers for the life of me. I'm going to have to start eating before games, Uncle Stevie. So if you want the fans spending money at the games... Open the concession for all us fat asses. <laughs> yeah, you said it well. Uh, as somebody who hasn't been there as of yet, you can speak as a uh, educated fan and let all the other fans know. Eat before you go to the game if you want to eat well. Uh, looks like hamburgers and hot dogs right now, and that hopefully will change in the foreseeable future. It's like Shea Stadium almost had better food. I mean, <laughs> Shea didn't have great food. This is like a traditional ballpark food. It's like you're at a minor league game. If you're going to sell this stuff, here's how they could get away with it. Charge a dollar. Like, charge $2. Like, don't be charging me $7 for a hot dog and then say, nah, you can't get the chicken parm here or the lobster fries, the sushi, mama's a Corona, the sandwiches in right field, everything. And also... Bring back bacon on a stick. I mean, that was diabetes on a stick, good. but it was it was a good diabetes on a stick. Mm. Um, so, Uncle Stevie. <laughs> diabetes. <laughs> diabetes on a stick, man. I'm, I'm going to have to give you uh, Nelson Figueroa English Academy, too. This is great. <laughs> no, I, you know why I say that. It's on the commercial. The guy, diabetes. The uh, the old guy. And uh, Anyways, this is, this is what happens. I get cranky when I don't eat. Hungry and I don't have coffee. Um, it you brought up the food, bro. Oh, man, the food is that is the most important. That's the worst part of the Mets season so far is that the food's not open. <laughs> the team's great. Just open the f-ing food. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm going to believe that one out. Uh, <laughs> this is amazing, but true. Jake Brown, Nelson Figueroa. I have lost my dear mind, but a guy who won't lose his dear mind is our next guest, Hank Azaria, coming right up. Joining us now on Amazing But True is an actor, a voice actor, comedian, producer, most importantly, a diehard Mets fan. He's a six-time Emmy Award winner, Screen Actors Guild Award winner. He's been nominated for a billion awards, including a Tony for Spamalot. You've heard him or seen him in just about everything from Simpsons, Birdcage, Godzilla, Along Came Polly, The Smurfs, and most recently, Brockmire, which if you haven't seen, you're doing yourself a disservice. You're living under a rock. I mean, watch it. You had a pandemic, whole pandemic to watch it uh, with nothing to do. So go watch it. It's one of my favorite shows. It's the Pride of Queens. The great Hank Azaria joining us. Hank, it's Jake Brown, Nelson Figueroa. Now, if I went through all your roles, the interview would be over before we even started. So I hope I did uh, did you a good service with that intro. Yeah, that was that was pretty pretty thorough. Actually, that would be kind of a fun interview. Just read every single one of my credits. I'll just sit here quietly and, and then just go, well, thanks a lot, guys. Take care. It'll be a very easy interview. Are you ever like, 
how did I do all this? I mean, I'm just going through like your IMDb and everything. I'm like, did this guy have a second of brief? I thought I was busy running seven podcasts of the New York Post. You've been in every role from 1988 to 2021. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is longevity, right? Yeah, you know, if you're at it for, I guess I've been at it. My first job, I think, when I was like 22. So that's a solid 35 years. So, yeah, you can you can get a lot in there. I often think about that in terms of like, I feel fortunate that I'm a character actor because I, I, you know, there's so many roles for 57 year old guys, 22 year old guys. So you can just keep going, you know, I mean, like we're all Tom Brady in that way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. I know for myself when I went to a division three college and it was like, all right, my prospects are going to play in the big leagues are, are slim to none. I'm going to just go to that division three college and I'm going to get to play every position. I'm gonna get to do whatever I want. As an actor, you came up wanting just to act. At what point did you realize the advantage of being a voice actor? You know, I didn't, not till I was doing it. I went to a division three school, by the way, as well. We didn't have an acting team. But, uh, yeah, I know. All, we used to crush our school. I can brag about that. Brandeis versus oh, you, Tufts. Oh, yeah. You used to beat, uh, we were the, we were the Jumbos. What was the Brandeis? The Jumbos, who, who, yeah. you who were you guys? Brandeis, the judges. Who were the judges? The judges the, versus the, the Jumbos. Yeah, wow. Every, everybody in that league has a ridiculous name. <laughs> it is. But they the really mascots, do. You can't even make up mascots to this. It's terrible. No, the Eastmen. The uh, it is so weird. The Lord Jammers, Lord Jets. It's really just strange, yep. man. But anyway, <laughs> you know, I think about that a lot. I mean, I, I will answer. I'm not dodging your voiceover question, but the the uh, like, I feel like I know so much more. Like, I feel so fortunate that I can like all my experience. Like, I still get to bring it to bear. I. I think about that a lot. Like if I were an athlete, like Nelson, you probably felt like towards the end of your career, like, God, I wish I could start my career over again, knowing what I know now. Absolutely. Right. I mean, as an actor, you kind of, you do get to do that. You know, I think about that all the time. Uh, in terms of, I guess you, you go into coaching if you want to impart it that much. And, and I, I pass actually on do, that knowledge. Exactly. And I do teach acting. Like I really do enjoy passing on like what I've learned to, to younger people. But yeah, voice acting is fun and it's easy. And I just rolled into it with The Simpsons when I, that was one of the first jobs I got. That's unreal. Like you go from like doing nothing to doing The Simpsons, which lasted, I mean, forever. Hey, Hank the Dog yeah. Walker was not nothing. Cut it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what's mad about you. That was based on yes, a guy sir. who grew up with some Queens. A friend of mine in Queens talked just like this. Yeah, basic. The character on him. <laughs> and then you know how do you get that i mean your friends i guess called it freakish mimic where how do you get that i'm, I'm always fascinated by you know people that could you know play a piano they first hear a song i watch youtube clips of someone that just has that pitch you have that you know you hear something you can mock mimic them how do you do that it's weird i hear it's a skill you're born with you know, you know which friend of mine that dubbed me the freakish mimic was uh, Matthew Perry, by the way, from Friends. He's really, wow, really good friend. Casual. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, he was, I met Matthew when he was he was seventeen and I was twenty two. We were focusing a lot on my twenty second year of life in this interview. But uh, yeah, you know, you can either you know how like here's what how I think about mimicking. Like you know, how some people love cilantro and other people it tastes like soap too. It's kind of like that. It, or, or you know how some people can roll their tongue. Up and other people cannot. <laughs> Jake can't. That's been a theme of this show. <laughs> we do the Nelson Figueroa Spanish Academy. I cannot roll my R's, so I can't do Spanish. Well, you can't do that sound. They can't do that. I sound like Chewbacca when I try it. Like you're gargling. He sounds but like also, Chewbacca I mean, like, Novocaine shot. <laughs> <laughs> but not just like the sound, but I mean, like some people can't like actually curve their tongue. Some people that's genetic. You either can do that or you can't. 
So I think vocal cords are like that. Like you can either mimic sounds or you can't. I have a weird though, like even more than being able to mimic, if I hear a voice like one time, like 20 years later, I'll remember it. Like, oh, that's that guy, Jim. It's like really weird. That part of it is weird even to me. Like I'll, I have this recollection for voices that is crazy. Weird. Jim Brock, uh, Jim, I'm calling you Jim Brock, Jim Brockmeyer, Jim Brockmeyer on the line. I was so hooked after the first three seasons. I paid for the fourth season because my impatient ass didn't want to watch the ad. So I paid so I could get it ad free and go right through it. It like, it was addicting. I mean, it was, it was crazy how good it was. Where did the idea for this show come from? And did you ever think it would really just take on a life of its own here? Well, before you know, it's funny you say that because I, thank you for enjoying the show. And m- many folks haven't seen it to the point where, like, if you haven't seen it, go on Hulu and look under. I mean, you could just, of course, search it. But it, it, the category it's in is hidden comedy gems. <laughs> <laughs> well, because it was on IFC and most people don't even know what IFC is. Yeah, and they wouldn't, and they were like really trying to, they wouldn't like put it out on Hulu right away because they were trying to drive eyeballs to IFC and, and they kind of failed. But the idea, I, you know, I said mimicry, right? This, this announcer voice, this is the Jim Brackmeyer voice, which to me was the generic baseball announcer voice of the 1970s. Just seemed like a lot of guys kind of gave it to you this way. And as a Met fan, like Bob Murphy was kind of a gravelly verse. Bob Murphy was that, you know, if he just was chain smoking, which I'm pretty sure Bob did. <laughs> and um, so I don't know. I just got fascinated. I mean, I loved sports and I watched everything. And I was like, why is it always this guy who's telling you? Why is this guy always giving you the game? I don't understand. <laughs> why is this the voice for this? <laughs> and then I started wondering. But that voice, you come to love it. It's like really comforting to people who, because, um, you know, especially baseball announcers, you spend so much time with them. Uh, in the course of a game, it gets really avuncular. They become like this beloved uncle or something, like your hometown sports announcer. You know, you love him. I mean, same with Marv Albert with the Knicks when I was growing up. And um, yes, so there's something real. Yeah, yes, and it counts. <laughs> and it counts. John Stark shoots again. <laughs> Shaquille O'Neal serving up the facial. <laughs> with authority. And it, the, it, I always wonder, he pointed out the 8th Avenue and the 7th Avenue end of the garden, which to me is like, what? who cares which end of the garden? Um, but anyway, uh, any, so yeah, I found the voice fascinating. And then over the years, it became Harry Shearer, who I work with on The Simpsons, does, a, does Vin Scully to a degree that is so perfect that honestly, I don't know if you ever heard him do it. You cannot, it's one of those impressions that you, you, you couldn't be able to tell the difference between Harry and, and Vin if I played them both for you. You couldn't tell. Um, and we, we would talk a lot about how baseball announcers, including Vince Scully, can just say whatever they like as long as they give the count afterwards. You know, it's just like can be free. Of, like Phil Rizzuto used to do it with the Italian meal he had the night before. You know, like, yeah, oh, yeah. man, we were we were Antonio's. We got a big plate of sauce each. And, uh, you know, we had the clams and Reganato going as, uh, as Johnson looks at a breaking ball in the third one and all. And then. And it was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> that seems to be most of the game for Phil. Yeah. Holy and so, cow. Well, he was, yeah, at least when he, at least, holy cow, he had decent catchphrase. Holy cow. Yeah. Him and Bill White, right? Frank Messer. God, I love those guys. Well, me yeah. and Figgy were talking about before the show, we were like, Gary, Keith, Ron, 
Jim Brockmeyer. Are we arranging this this season? I mean, I know COVID and stuff, but are we going to get you in the booth with the greatest of all time? And we talked about maybe he does. There's some, let's be real, there's some lousy Midwest broadcast teams in baseball. The Mets have the best. We thought about you having like a, a streaming platform where you call like a, a White Sox game or, or a Cardinals game or something. And uh, maybe maybe don't curse for, for the kids, but you make it entertaining. I have done with ESPN. I've done like three, four years in a row now. I've called an inning or two of the Mets game on the ESPN broadcast. I've been in there with Eduardo Perez and, and Tim Kirkton, and it's been pretty fun. I keep it's that, that I say that SNY booth is a tough nut to crack. I've interviewed I interviewed Keith as Brock Meyer at the stadium when he was promoting his book, <laughs> and that was a ridiculous interview. I've interviewed Mr. <laughs> Matt. That was a pretty interesting interview as Mr. As Blackfire. I got to hear how that goes. Like, can you give us an impression of, of interviewing Mr. Matt? Well, obviously, Mr. Matt doesn't say too much. So Brockmeyer has to kind of describe what Mr. Matt is pantomime and uh, gets a little, he has some hard-hitting questions like, uh, Mr. Matt, the hat they, they stuck on your head there isn't isn't big enough uh, for, your, for your enormous head. Uh, what do they do? Do they glue that on? Do they staple it? What, what happens? <laughs> and uh, are you like a child? I, I, I feel like Christmas magic got involved. Like, did a child, like, wish that a baseball, a lonely child wish that a baseball would come to life and be his only friend and was Mr. Matt the result? Questions, hard-hitting questions like that. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I, 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 I love uh, those guys. And as with the Brockmire podcast, our first guest was Charles Barkley. We got Rich Eisen coming up. I'm going to, of course, have Joe Buck on and Dan Patrick. And I got some actors in there, too, like Ben Filler and Don Cheeto. But I very much hope to, to get uh, Gary Keith and Ron in there. And you guys uh, you guys as well. Come on the Brockmire podcast. I'll, I'll insult you, you ask us for twice. about half an hour straight. I'll do Marv Albert impressions and J- Brooklyn Jewish mother impressions. That's Those are my uh, my. <laughs> Specialties. I have a I have a Queens Jewish mother who talks a lot like this. My mom is Brooklyn. She's Jake. Did you marry a Jewish girl yet? Is she nice? What does she do? Is she nice, mom? You just asked if she's nice. Oh well, does she have a good personality? That's that's basically my uh. My sheep's, it, sheep's I assume about. you're not married because if she's asking these questions about your current wife, and then you no. got to get these two <laughs> she, ladies together. My, my brother gets married the end of the month. I'm single. I'm 30. He's 34. Uh, and he's the first one of the of the three brothers getting married. So she's happy she will have grandchildren in the coming years, but not from me. <laughs> yeah, that's... Fingers uh, crossed, Jake. Fingers uh, crossed. <laughs> that's, uh, I get that a lot as well. My mother, God bless her, guys. She's 93 years old. Oh, wow. But uh, anyway, we're, we've gotten way off the point here. What were, <laughs> what were we talking oh, about? Oh, we were talking about you with GKR in the booth. I mean, S&Y, I don't know how oh, this... Right, call right, an right. inning, bro. This is the year to do it. They've been, they're very, uh, you know, Harold Kaufman over there, I've gotten to know, he's a great guy, very, he does a very good job, he's a very good, uh, what are they called, a firewall between the SNY talent <laughs> and anybody who might come in there. Brock Meyer does make people a little nervous, I, I, like you said, you know, you never know what's going to come out of his mouth, you know, not just verbally, but he might just get so drunk that he vomits, you know, you never know what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, I, remember, I remember when we had you on SNY, we had you on the show, and uh, I I had said from the beginning because I went to the the very first premiere of season one uh, of Brock Meyer. I got to sit there. At the I remember you coming out, Daniel. Yeah, I was really yeah. happy you came. Yeah, and so it was. It was. I, I finished watching the first two episodes, and I went back and I told everybody. I was like, "Oh my god, this thing's going to be huge! I love it!" I goes, "Absolutely hilarious! We got to have him." I was like, "We got to have him on. Let's have him on as soon as possible." And I went into the offices and said it, and the first reaction was, "Uh, we're not sure what he might do." 
<laughs> That's the beauty of it. Be the first one to, where he does something different and it'll, you know, catch eyes and ears. But they were always uh, second to do anything. So, but I, I apologize for that. No, it's for, it, it, it has made many people nervous, believe me. And some people have gotten upset with me. Some people really have, really been a little insulted and had their feelings hurt by what Brock Myers said to them. And some folks <laughs> were like, who agreed to do the show, uh, then saw what was going to be said and like, no, I'm not doing that, no way. And you should see how, every time I do the ESPN stuff, the look in people's eyes, it's hilarious, both the producers and like, they're just, everybody's like, Eduardo and Tim, they're all looking at me like, oh God, please, just don't. Don't get us thrown off the air and don't <laughs> don't crush me too bad. Yeah, anyway, it's been, people get get uh, pretty darn uh, darn there. And I, I don't blame them. You know, Brockmire can say stuff that I cannot at all. I, I can't. I once he's tweeted my, He's like, my spirit I, animal. Let me just tell you that. <laughs> well, yeah, he says the stuff you, you, you wish you could say, which is what's fun about him calling a game. I was talking to, you know, Charles Barkley, uh, Brockmire interviews Barkley, and I realized 10 minutes into the interview that Barkley kind of is a real-life Brockmire. There's absolutely no filter. He does not care. Insults everybody and just tells, completely tells the truth, whatever crosses his mind, and really couldn't care less about the, about the heat he gets based on it. Like, I couldn't out-Brockmire. He was, like, more... Who's wilder than Brockmire in, yeah. in the podcast? Out Bark Barkmire over here. Do you find yourself in daily conversation, like transition of the voice by accident, or or it just slips out? I will narrate certain things, like I, whenever, like my my son calls this voice a baseball guy. Now he knows my son's about to be twelve. Now he knows he's Brockmire. But when we were kids, when he was little, you know, I whatever we play whatever game, and he he go, Dad, how baseball guy narrate this? So, you know, we'd be having a catch or whatever. So young Halazaria, young right-hander, only five years uh, out of the womb. Uh, and <laughs> nice, uh, nifty pickup there and uh, throws it to his dad for the out. And in fact, when we would like do ground balls, he would make me, <laughs> he'd make me call it like that, including whether uh, he got the out or not. And if I stop, he'd go, Dad, baseball guy needs to announce it. Well, there's one one more Brockmire thing, one more of the voice I have to hear, and that's the Buckner 86 play, because I imagine that's your favorite Mets team of all time. I need to hear Brockmire call getting past Buckner. Right, I didn't get in prepare anything. I mean, you can't... On the uh, spot, that's that's it, on the spot. Yeah, really. Uh, and so it's a slow roller down to first base, and that is going to do it. And no! Somehow the baseball guys have aligned themselves and placed themselves not so gently right between Bill Buckner's legs. My goodness, that is going to chafe Buckner probably for the rest of his life. And I think it actually did. Yes, yes, it did. That was incredible. By the way, my uh, we, we got two kittens in the pandemic, and uh, we named them Mookie and Wilson. Oh, we, uh, nice. we, just, we just had them on the show. I'm gonna have to let, yeah, I'm going to have to let Mookie know that. Uh, there's a, my wife, they, they have their own Instagram account that my wife has created. We, she has 6,000 followers. Mookie. What? <laughs> I don't think Mookie Wilson has 6,000 followers. Yeah, he doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, my wife puts out at least one video a day. Yeah, <laughs> That's all it takes. Hey, Hank, want to transition to uh, this year's ball club, 2021 Mets. What do you think of the team thus far? It's hard not to be too excited. Although, as, as right, as you know, as Mets fans, we've learned... If, 
if we've learned nothing else, it's to temper our excitement. But very excited about the new ownership and how things might roll down from the top from now. I think I'm I'm very optimistic about this season, but I'm even more optimistic about the organizational changes that make us Met fans have more faith in the decision making from the top. And it's just a nice feeling to have faith that, well, however this goes, can't win them all, but you feel good that money can be spent where where it needs to be. And in fairness to the Wilpons, before uh, Bernie Madoff, who, as we all saw, just passed away, they spent pretty freely. They just maybe didn't have the greatest judgment all the time with how they spent. It is nice to have uh, a guy like Steve Cohn, who's pretty smart cookie uh, at the top. And so, and, and this, they, boy, they look great so far. It is really exciting. It's a fun, it, it really is fun. So for me, it's for me, it's talking about the Wilpons and the way that you just as an educated fan, I, I have more admiration for you because you were able to speak the truth that they did spend money. They just never got return on their investments, plus the Madoff thing. But uh, that, that was true. They spent money. They they went out and they got the biggest free agents. The Cespedes deal backfired. Jason Bay. The list goes on and on and on. Santana didn't get to finish out his contract. So they spent money. I get that. And money isn't going to buy you championships. The Yankees over the last, what, 12 years have learned that. Also, you look at, go all the way across. You got the best player in all of baseball, Mike Trout. We got Otani, uh, who's uh, the best all-around athlete in all of baseball. You have all these other big stars with them in Anaheim. And Art Moreno has spent a ton of money. And they haven't done anything to even get to the playoffs. So money isn't always the, the way to do it. But I definitely agree with you that you have a better feeling about this organization, not just for this year, but for the years to come. No question. I mean, and you know, they, yes, they spent on Cespedes, and, but that was post-Madoff. They would, you know, make a move like that here and there. But pre-Madoff, I remember being like, well, you can't complain that these guys don't have a high payroll. They spent like a big market team before that. You know, my wife, it was kind of my wife to allow us to name the kitties Mookie and Wilson because she's actually from Philly. She's a Philly fan. And, and I'm still, I still haven't gotten over the 07 and 08. They still, oh, March. I blame Dagger. Figgy. That was Figgy's team. Dagger. Figgy, I blame you for, for uh, those collapses. Thanks for that. <laughs> I can't even imagine. I mean, that, you know, that's the only thing in sports. And, you know, I've seen a lot of New York sports over the last 20, 30 years. That one's still smart. That one actually traumatized me, like as a person, not just as a sports fan, like that, sports fan like that. Those two years were like, I didn't just shake those off. <laughs> those were really, and it didn't help that my in-laws were all Philly fans. Can you imagine what I, oh, I just rubbing it in. It didn't help that the Mets didn't shake it off because they didn't make it to the playoffs again until 2015. And, you know, the new stadium didn't start off great the first five or six years, and then they finally make it. I mean, is this is this a championship team this year do you think this team has the potential i think they got a shot if they stay healthy and maybe make a move they get you know carrasco and lugo back and everyone you know performs up Syndergaard too and you know the bullpen of familia and diaz are great if everything goes great i keep wanting to call you jim hank then uh i think i think they got a shot i answer the jim i absolutely think they have a shot i I agree it feels like if you had to guess that they would want to make a bullpen move or two maybe at the deadline feels like that but yeah, who can tell this early but yeah they have a definite uh, shot but thingy, can i ask you a question as a fan it seemed like that like in the same way that right now it you could make the argument that it's in Mets hitters heads when jacob de is pitching it seems like people are pressing a little bit because now it's a thing 
right? That he just never gets any run. I mean, that may or may not be true. I don't know. But it seemed like that Met team was a little bit traumatized by all 7 It seemed like it was hard to shake the feeling that kind of no matter what you do, it's going to lead to some weird collapse. <laughs> was that true or, or not true in your experience? No, it was very, it was very true. And and one of the things I got there in 08, immediately in spring training, we were talking about the collapse of 07 and how we wanted to, you know, put it behind us, put it behind the fans and try and start out the season the way, not the way we ended it, but the way we played in 07 all the way up to almost the end. Um, they had the pieces in place to do it. The, the, the team was stacked with all stars. So joining that club, it, it, it seemed like, okay, we, we can kind of go out there and compete with anybody. And we got all the way, it was two weeks left in the season i'll never forget we sat in our office or we sat in, a, in our, our conference room and we were talking about playoff tickets you know we had to make the request early enough to have playoff tickets we we're going to go play against the cubs it was sitting there and we're, we're, we're planning on okay if this team makes it this is what we're going to do this is how many tickets we need you know, you're going to get four per player blah 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 we'll stay here we'll do this and we're talking about all these plans and there's still like 14 days left and i remember we started losing a couple I'm like all right we're fine we just gotta you know win the next one oh, we'll just win the next one we're fine then we got to that last day and Santana threw that great game. And then it was going to be Ali Perez starting that last game. And I was the long man and they told me, hey, he's got a very short leash today. So like after he warms up, be ready. So not not while he was warming up to start the game, but right as, as soon as he left the bullpen, start getting ready. Because if he walks the first batter, he's out of the game. And he had a decent game. And I remember sitting there because we knew that we were shutting down Shea Stadium. And right. well, the right. ceremony, right. the ceremony was going to take place after the game. And it started dawning on me that we're losing this freaking game. And now they're going to have this ceremony to not celebrate any longer Shea Stadium, but put Shea Stadium to rest. It was it, be, it went from a celebration to a funeral very quickly. And it, it, as soon as that game was over, I remember sitting in my uniform. I couldn't move. I didn't want to move. I, I knew this was the last time, no matter what, whether I was with the Mets or not, that I was going to be in Chase Stadium. And I grew up as a kid who sat in the upper deck, and I got to see the doors close as somebody who was on the field. And to me, that was kind of that surreal moment of I kind of saw my whole career flash before my eyes and realized that I had no control over the outcome of this thing. And I just had to watch it. And then the train wreck of the whole closing ceremony and just really left a bad taste in everyone's mouth because the fans as well were like, I mean, if they had done the ceremony before the game, it kind of would have motivated, you know, it would have been a lot more, you could see the fans be into it a little bit more. It would have been something to motivate us to, you know, the future of looking forward to City Field. That kind of was one of those things that I don't necessarily blame the Wilpons, but there's been a lot of faux pas when it comes to handling of ceremonies and things like that, that you can go back to and that just leave you scratching your head. Like all it takes is a little bit of thought. And they never thought as fans where I think Steve Cohen now thinks from a fan's perspective and really will make sure that things like that don't happen again. Yeah, no, that, that was really interesting. When you just, I forgot that detail about saying about a Shay. I think I blocked some of it out emotionally. But uh <laughs> Yeah, no, but that's what I'm saying. I, even on about things like that, I agree. Like you, you have a trust that, that smart decisions, smart, connected, enthusiastic decisions are getting made. Uh, it, it's a good feeling as a Mets fan. It's a new feeling as a Mets fan. <laughs> that collapse, but I guess it wasn't the worst collapse ever. Ironically, I guess I think the Phillies technically had the worst one ever. But remember that Yankee? Remember that Red Sox collapse to the Yankees back in the '70s? Do you, do you remember that? Mm-hmm. 
that was crazy. That was pretty nuts too. Jacob Clamy wasn't born yeah, yet. That was, don't, don't my, that, was, that. that was before my time, but uh, the history books will show it. Yes. That, yeah. Oh, wait, Figgy. I mean, let out the tears, bro. I know it looks like you're just watching the notebook. You can let them out for us uh, for that, for that moment, telling that story. It's fine. And well, I, the I, interesting thing, right. It, it is the, the tightness, I guess it's tightness, right? I mean, look, even actors feel it sometimes, especially like in, in live performances, Broadway performances, you know, like, eh, this crowd ain't into it. And then you get a little tight and then your timing starts to go just a hair. And then you feel that. And now you're in your head and um, it's just, it's not flowing. And, you know, you walk, I, I, I feel in my chest, just like a tightness, like, God damn it. I, I guess I'm sure there's athlete equivalents, right? I guess slumps, right? Or, or as a, I guess there must be picture equivalents, right? Oh, getting it's, it's, it just, just the pressure. It's, it's the undue pressure you put on yourself. You're playing a game uh, during the week and, you know, practice sessions, you're practicing for perfection. But when it comes to playing a game, you know, there's margins of error. And when you feel like there's no margin of error because of a tight situation like that, because you let it come down to the last game and the last really five innings of the last game that's where some people get that lump in their throat some people's heart rates start to to rise and that's what makes it difficult but even for actors it's the same thing you know you've been preparing your lines preparing your lines you get in front of that crowd and if the crowd isn't responding the way you want in broadway then you kind of are thrown off so I, I totally get that analogy. Yeah. I mean, it is uh, it is fascinating to watch the postseason, especially in baseball, because baseball is the longest season, and you're not so used to the idea of urgency too much. And But then to watch a game seven or even like, you know, a game five of a series and, and watch how pressure that you're not used to seeing in baseball turns, you know, some guys into – it, it cr- crushes some guys and turns other guys into diamonds. And it, it's really amazing to, to watch that play out. You can follow him on Twitter and Instagram at Hank Azaria. You can download, subscribe the Brockmeyer podcast. Uh, check that out. You could also watch Brockmeyer on Hulu as well. Hank, hopefully uh, we see you at City Field this year. I hope I, I hear you in the in the uh, Gary Keith and Ron SNY booth. Would love to see that uh, quadruple. Quadruple. I'm going to try to have Brockmeyer break in there with uh, with Gary Keith, and that is a very good goal this year. <laughs> and, uh, I'll run it through Howard Kaufman first to make sure it's all on the up and up. I We, we try every year. I mean, maybe this is the year that we'll make it. This, listen, in the last year that we've had, uh, it's got to happen now before the world ends uh the end of 2021. But uh Hank, thanks for coming on Amazing But True. Man, we'll talk to you later in the season. Thanks, guys. LFKM. That'll say adios to episode 43, the R.A. Dickey edition of Amazing But True, our Mets podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to you, Jake and Brian Mungia, for producing the show. Give Amazing But True a five-star rating and write us a nice review on Apple Podcasts. For Nelson Figueroa, I'm Jake Brown. We'll be back on Monday after the Mets three-game set in Colorado, and we have Glenn Close joining the show. What a guest. Enjoy the series. And can't wait to talk to you all Monday. Thanks for listening, and let's go Mets.